Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere, it's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. There's three sides to every story. There's my side, your side, and the truth. What is it with rock stars thinking this entire planet is some sort of all-you-can-eat, booty-groping, sexual smorgasbord? You should withdraw that, and if you don't, we will have to deal with it on the floor of the Senate. We're going to fight for those Australians who haven't got the time to go around and get on Twitter and wear T-shirts. The kids who are sick cannot do the hip-hop anymore. I will not be lectured about sexism and misogyny by this man. G'day and welcome to The Curb. My name's Andrew Pearce and this is the podcast that's all about culture, unity, reviews and banter. This podcast is proudly recorded in the lands of the Wajak people of Perth region and I pay respects to the elders both past, present and emerging. On this episode, I catch up with director Fiona Cochran to discuss her documentary Strange Tenants, Scarred for Life, which is a film about the Australian band Strange Tenants, who were dubbed the Godfathers of Australian Ska, emerging in the 1980s in the wake of the UK two-tone ska bands like The Specials. And this is a documentary that focuses on their original political ska songs and looks at the legacy that they had as well. It's a really, really interesting documentary that is screening on July 24th at 6.15pm at the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival. And to purchase tickets, head over to the website mdff.org.au. Let's have a listen to the trailer and be back with the interview. It was Ian's idea to form a, a scar band that he convinced me to, to go along. We didn't have any, anybody else, it was just my brother and I. And then we put a little ad in Duke Music magazine saying, you know, um, here we are. <laughs> We're putting together a ska band. Wow, you know, ska in Australia. I didn't expect to hear ska here, you know, because anything I knew about Australia growing up was based on the white Australia policy. So none of it was positive. The Hearn brothers had this pretty committed stance politically tied in perfectly, you know, with the ska music. Well, you say we're not in high time. We thought, oh, it'd be great to have another brass instrument to play with the sax, and uh, I said, I'll play trumpet. And, and I remember Ian saying, but you can't play trumpet. And I said, it's all right, I'll go and get one. We were genuinely motivated by an opportunity to play music we loved. We didn't want to be under the control of anybody else. But secondly, the reality was um, the, uh, the the music industry in Australia also didn't, weren't interested in us. There was about a thousand people close to it at this gig, and of the thousand, I reckon at least 500 were skinheads. Skinheads actually brought blacks and whites together. I was a skinhead. That was real wild. And 
But you know, the people about Australian men don't dance. So they bloody well did then. The dance was, you know, probably much more like something you'd do at football training or something like that, but it was still a dance. The band became our de facto family. There was no arguments, you know. I mean, Ian and Bruce might argue a little bit, but, you know, we all had our backs and, you know, we call ourselves brothers. I thought it was going to be something that we'd do for a bit of fun for six months or so, and you know, what is it, 36 years later? Here we are. Yep. So, Strange Tenet, Scarred for Life. Great title, fantastic title, um, and a really, really fascinating look at a music culture which I think a lot of people maybe have, uh, you know, kind of not disregarded but uh, have forgotten is as influential and as important as it is. So what is it about ska music that, and in particular Strange Tendence as well, what is it about this particular music and this band that drew you to telling this story? Uh, look, I guess in, in many ways, for me, some of it was really about having known and been a fan of the band back in the 80s when they were around. Um, so, and knowing the, uh, or at least Bruce Hearn, I didn't actually know Ian Hearn, but knowing Bruce Hearn a little bit over the last um, 30 years, um, uh, you know, I was just interested in sort of revisiting some of that and seeing how they were going considering the band is still continuing to play, not a lot, but continuing to play 36 years later um, and continuing to release CDs and albums. Which is an impressive thing. I mean, not very many bands can say that, you know, 36 years after they started that they're still kicking around. Like, that's, that's impressive. Um, how do you... Yeah, it's very impressive. And that hasn't been full-time all of that time, but they, you know, have come back and continue to come back periodically and, and play together. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, there's a there's a point which they make, which is, you know, especially when you're out on the road for nine months, eight, nine months, you create a family, like it becomes a family unit. And that really, that sense of that family aspect of it is really quite clear in the film. Um, what was yep. it like for you being a filmmaker as well and, and being along for the ride? Did you feel like you became part of the family too? Oh, well, they're not, they're not touring all the time and doing all of that to the same level. Um, so they're, they're no longer doing all of that because they're all settled with their own children and things, and now their children are part of the band. But, yes, I have actually known Bruce's son since the time he was lit, very little. So uh, um, while I'm not sort of part of the family, it's, uh, they're, they're very welcoming into their sort of world. So that was um, very nice. Yeah, it's and you get that real sense of the that community and everything there. And I guess for me, like so, saying you know, pleading ignorance here, I, you know, I have appreciated ska music, but it's not been my uh, genre of choice. But um, I was unaware of the political associations with the music, and that was really surprising for me. Was that something you always you always knew about ska music, or did it surprise you about it as you were making the film? Um, well, I always knew the associations that Strange Tenants had with politics because a lot of their stuff was... Um, uh, most of their songs have got a sort of political basis to them. So I was aware of their politics, but I probably... And, and had been 
a fan of the specials and a variety of all the two-tone scar that came out of it. But I didn't really know as much about the history of it, no, until I started going into it. And certainly I found it quite fascinating, the history of, you know, skinheads and who were initially pro, um, pro-blacks, pro anti-racism, um, and then subsequently got, you know, taken over by the National Front to, in terms of some of them um, to become the um, Nazi skinheads that we tend to associate with skinheads. Yeah. See, that so was... that sort of, some of that politics was... was I think not. I think is new to a lot of Australians. Yeah, it was. It was certainly new to me, and that was that was really surprising because, you know, as you're saying, like the 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 modern skinhead, I guess, or the the Nazi version of the skinhead, the romper stomper style is very, um, you know, it's it's etched in memories in a lot of ways. So to see the honest and true and uh, you know quite. Um, you know, quite earnest uh, foundations that that came from is is sad to see that 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 iconography has kind of been stolen away from scar music in mm. some way, um, and I guess it goes to show how much you know just a little bit can be co opted and and changed. And you know, it's great to see that you know with strange strange tenants in particular, like as we see they had that reformation, the playing music in front of protest groups and stuff like that near the end, and. It's great to see that that energy is still there. Um, how involved have they been throughout the years uh, outside of the band in doing those kinds of things? How involved are they in that kind of political realm? Oh, Bruce and Ian are still very political. So they are still... I mean, you know, they live their lives uh, with family and jobs and all sorts of other things that aren't necessarily as political, but certainly they're... they're um, beliefs and stance in life are still very similar and very political yeah i'm curious very, very much from their back working class backgrounds and left left uh politics yeah yeah and i i love that look into the uh the working class history and as well like the um and you know the the clear explanation of of where the name ska music came from which is like <laughs> you know when when you when it's explained in the film it's like oh well of course like it makes sense um and so i was appreciative of that that was really nice to see um what was it like filming those those live shows as well because the 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 reuniting live shows and stuff like that and and the i guess the energy that they talk about what it's like to be playing with somebody you know as big as jimmy cliff over in the uk is really kind of it's powerful um so what's it like for you to to have captured those moments well unfortunately we didn't get to i didn't i and the film crew didn't get to go to the uk to do jimmy cliff that would have been fantastic but that was sort of before we started so that was just some footage that they had managed to get from during the jimmy cliff tour um but look generally when they play there is always you know i mean part of scar music is there's a lot of um, uh, positive feeling and energy and dancing and things going on. That's the nature of sort of ska music, really. Yeah. Which is why it's so appealing to so many people. It's hard not to dance along to. Well, it is, yeah. It's, you know, I was sitting there watching the film. I was, I was very much bopping along myself just in my seat at home. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it is, it's infectious. It is. <laughs> it is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm yeah. curious for you. You've you've made a few documentaries that focus on music. What is your what does music mean to you as a person and as a filmmaker? Uh, well, I come from a musical background myself. So my mother was a 
uh, a, a classical muse- musician. So I come from the opposite end of the spectrum with that. And uh, But music has always been very important to me. So it was... And, and I have followed up with quite a, a number of music documentaries. Um, quite a few with people that um, sort of were important to me in the 80s when I was going around to lots of bands, such as Strange Tennis, but also Joe Camilleri and the Black Sorrows, and, or at that time it was Joe Joseph and the Falcons. So I've done quite a number of sort of ones about sort of local musicians um, and made another documentary a couple of years ago um, called 25 Tracks, which was following two musicians trying to make it in the music industry without having to work other jobs, as many musicians do. Um, so, yeah, no music is very important in my life and um, uh, I don't know whether I can say much more with that. <laughs> no, yeah. that's fair. Yeah, like it's, it, I think, you know, it's one of those constant things that we grow up with music uh, from our childhood and things like that and, um, you know, as you're saying, you, you, if your mum's, your mum's into classical more than, you know, I guess Scar and stuff like that, then you, you evolve as a person as well if you have that connection to music. So it's really nice to see that, you know, that the music that inspired you back in the 80s has inspired you as a filmmaker as well to tell these stories, to explore their stories. And it's great to see they're being, these being told on screen. Um, you, mm. The on, first, the first short films I made were musical ones too. They were about, you know, using, using dialogue from music songs to um, as the dialogue in the film. So uh, okay. from the beginning, from the very start, and I started doing music videos were my early thing. I did all some of the early dynamic hypnotics and those sort of music videos when I first started in the film industry back in the 80s. <laughs> so what's the difference between making a like a music video and a short film and a documentary? Like it should be obvious, but um, just for people out there who may not be familiar, what, what's the difference between that, the production process for that? Oh, well, music videos are obviously a lot shorter. They totally vary in terms of whether you've got any budget to do them. So they all are a varying different... Um, kettle of fish um and but yeah so it depends on what you want to do with them whether you um but they only take a brief period of time whereas documentaries take a varying period of time depending on what the subject matter is how much research you have to do for them what style you choose to do it in and whether you do the sort of one that we did with strange tenants which was really just going and interviewing them all and putting the story discovering the story and how we were going to sort of structure it along the way as opposed to, you know, many documentaries when you do all the research and things beforehand and then have a very clear idea from the outset in terms of what you want. So you've... So, um, yeah, you know, yeah, you've made a lot of films as well. So I've done for documentaries yeah. that have got a variety of different sort of styles and things with it. So yeah. um, there's, there's not a single, a single manner with it. I work another job to pay the bills because often the documentaries aren't funded so mine take a little bit and I've got family so mine take a little bit longer to make because I'm doing them sort of more slowly over a period of time yeah do you um, have multiple yeah. projects going at once as well because I mean you've you've made a lot of films and uh, you've covered a lot of different topics as well so yeah and obviously with with a heck of a lot going on I can imagine it's hard to juggle uh, different tasks as well and keep on track so 
yeah do you do you have multiple stories going at once or and how do you keep track of what you're doing as well <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, yeah, look, yes, I do, and I do a mixture of producing and directing. So there are some films that I just produce for other people. So I have, you know, less um, on my plate to do on some of those. And there's one that um, we're finishing off at the moment, another feature documentary about artists and peace that is sort of nearing completion soon. And I've just assisted a friend sort of doing some co-producing with another documentary that's in the... Melbourne Documentary Film Festival this year called The Candidate, which is about one of the Greens' candidates. And it's a film by Helen Gaynor, but I just assisted her. So that you have different roles on different um, films and different amounts of involvement or creative input. So it it varies a little bit. Um, I I really like The Candidate as well. I thought it was a really interesting documentary that... um, didn't hold any punches, uh, which I thought that, you know, I, I was really impressed with that it. it didn't shy away from some of the, the more difficult subjects about what's going on with that particular campaign and things like that. And I thought it was really fascinating. Um, what does it... Oh, good. Yeah. What's the difference for you as a producer of a documentary versus a director? Obviously, a director is a little bit more hands-on, but what, what do you do as a producer for a film like The Candidate? Well, I didn't do as much for the candidates as I would normally do as a producer because I came in, you know, I'm a long-term friend of Helen Gaynor's, whose film it is, and I came in at the end to assist her um, with this. So I haven't done as much on that one. But the producer on the whole um, helps to develop the project with the writer-director, um, whether they're the same person or you've got different people involved, helps get the money together to try and make it and helps run the show in terms of getting things going and organised and etc. Um, but has, on the whole, less creative input. Now, producers vary in terms of how much creative that input they have into different documentaries or different films. So that's a bit of a, you know, some are more creatively involved, others are more like a line producer that just does the organisational stuff without having a lot of um, creative input. So, and look, at different stages on different films, you know, that's I've had different roles. So, yeah, it varies. But essentially the producer is the organiser, financier, unless you have an executive producer that does the money sort of side for you, which is very nice if you can get it. Um, yeah, whereas the director has the ideas about how to go and shoot it and put it together. Yeah. So I want to touch on, you started off, you didn't start off filmmaking um, when you started that. You started off with uh, medical training and, and doing a medical degree. What was the, yep. the the point where you decided that wasn't the career path for you and film is where you, your passion lay? I still do both. Okay, right, so, right. Uh, so that, <laughs> that point hasn't been reached. Um uh, yes, I fund myself. I'm lucky enough to be able to fund myself through um, doing medicine as well. So I work part-time as a GP still um, and then do medicine the other time. So that's why, as I said before, I tend to make films over a longer period of time yeah. um, because I work three days a week doing medicine. Yeah. I mean, it's it's both, it's both a, a shame that the film industry is like that, that you can't rely on just the films by itself, but it's also great to see that, you know, 
you kind of you, you you're making these great films and while doing a pretty stressful job as well so it's impressive to see uh, and your output is just it's phenomenal um it's great to see that you know all of these different stories are being told within australia um I'm curious for you what it means, like what a festival like the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival means to you as a filmmaker. Well, look, it's just wonderful always as filmmakers to be able to screen your films for people. That's what you're making it for. Um, And, you know, there are sort of limited outlets and people tend to go to the major big, whether it's networks or your Netflix or whatever. So for a lot of the smaller stuff, it's very hard to be seen. So film festivals like this are important yeah. um, for filmmakers. Yeah, Definitely. And the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival is a recent one. It's only been going, I think, for a few years. Yeah, three years. I know years, I had yeah. a film in there a couple of years ago. Yeah, and I had one in two years ago. Um, but it's, it's, I think it's got the best program this year that it's had before, and it's getting... Um, it's, um, the film is being screened at the Nova Cinema, which is good. So hopefully it will continue to grow. Yeah, and, um, yeah. There's been yeah. a lot of sellout screenings, which has been great to see. And I know that the candidate mm. um, had a sellout screening and has got a second screening coming up as well, which is, yep. you know, superb to see. I imagine that the um, the Melbourne interest of that is uh, is pretty high. But what I like yep. about the festival is that you know there is such a, a huge array of Australian documentaries, and and that's what I appreciate so much is the having the avenue for independent documentarians to had their film screened because, you know, I think there was an article the other day that was talking about the difficulty of um, of getting documentaries up on TV or onto to services and how, you know, it needed to be under a certain period of uh, length of time and stuff like that for, for network television and things like that. And to me, that just seems like, as somebody who really enjoys documentaries, it seems that there's always just, you know, a challenge after challenge after challenge to get these stories out. So... It's frustrating because I live in Perth and I can't make it across to the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival all the time to see all the films. Um, but yeah. these films deserve to be seen on a wider scale, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And look, television has become very difficult because the one-off documentaries are no longer screened very often at all. Um, it's all very much into series and things like that. So... Um, you know, there are lots of films like the ones I'm making, which are one-off stories. They're not series. They're not going to be dragged into any of that um, longer-form stuff. There's no problem fitting into a one-hour time slot or anything because we've been doing that for a long time with films. But it's just they won't take the one-off ones on the whole. So it's difficult, yeah. therefore, getting, getting, getting the airplay. Yeah. Um, what, how do you get your film seen then otherwise, um, if it's not through TV or through festivals? Is there a, a platform that people can watch them on? Uh, look, it varies um, with the different things. I mean, they go to lots of festivals, including internationally, with most of my films have gone to quite a lot. And then they do a lot of educate. There's a lot of educational sort of outlets and streaming places. And I have a, a number of films on Vimeo uh, Vimeo On Demand where people can stream it themselves etc and purchase them so yeah and Atom has an education the Australian Teachers of Media have the education shop where people can buy educational DVDs for a lot of them so there's a few different outlets but you know they're not necessarily on Netflix well I do have one documentary on Amazon Prime Video 
but um, most of them, you know, don't go to those sort of outlets either. Yeah. Well, yeah. certainly what I'll do is I'll, I'll link to your website at least in, in the show notes and then um, people can seek out your other work as well. And certainly, I mean, Vimeo, I think that people forget that Vimeo is a great platform for, for finding films. There are a lot of people who put their films up there to rent or to purchase. And yep. It's a fantastic platform because it's it's directly associated with the filmmaker. So it's fantastic to see that. Um yeah. So one last question as well uh, as we wrap up, and uh, thank you again for your time. I really appreciate talking about your film. Have the have the band seen the film yet? And uh, if so, what is their reaction for it? No, they haven't. So the premiere will be the first screening for most of them. Bruce has actually seen it because we had to get some approval and make sure they were um, not unhappy about anything. But he still hasn't seen the completely final you know, graded, mixed version of it. Well, so, um, but he's certainly, yeah. yeah. So, um, so yes, hopefully they'll they'll love it, but they haven't yet seen it really. <laughs> well, I'm sure it'll be a great screening <laughs> because it's a really enjoyable film. And as I was saying, you know, it's informative, it's entertaining, and it's opened my eyes up to uh, a whole different kind of music, which I unfortunately was a bit shut off to. That's my own ignorance and more than anything else. I know that this morning after I'd watched it um, the other day that I've, I've listened to some different ska music and stuff like that. So I added it to my playlist uh, to listen to while I work and it's, it's um, made my writing of data a lot easier <laughs> and a lot more entertaining. Good. So, because of that beat, that beat, you know, keeps you going. You know, you can't help but go. Din, you know, it, it's uh, propulsive. Yep. It's energetic. Energetic. Yeah, yeah. So, thank yep. you for that. <laughs> okay, pleasure. Lovely. Thank you for talking. No worries, and I'll okay. send you. A- Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzcastNetwork.com for details.